0: Thank you, thank you. Good to see you. You know, I've, I've received a good bit of chiding over the past four years. Grace Church is five years old, and I think I've been preaching for nearly four. And every time we come to a special day, whether it's Easter or Christmas or Mother's Day or Father's Day, folk come expecting to hear a message relevant to that particular day, and you do. I just don't go searching for a specific text because we've always been in a book For instance, we preached through the Gospel of Mark for about a year and a half. And last Sunday, we finished preaching through the little book of Jonah. So here we are on an Easter Sunday, and lo and behold, I had to go searching for an Easter passage. And I've got one that intrigues me, so I want to invite you to find your place with me in Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read the first 18 verses of of this uh, mountain peak of an Old Testament text. So if you're ready, say yay. yay. All right, here we go. Verse number one. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abram raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from the heavens and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, "'Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me.' Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram uh, caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son.' And Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. And the mount of Yahweh, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Well, if you'll remember the text that Katie Dollar read Just a little while ago, there's something in that text that has always fascinated me. It's verse number 56 of John chapter 8, and here's what it says. It says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now let that sink in for a little while and look at the tense of that verb. It doesn't say he sees it as after Abram's death he was looking over the balcony of heaven and saw what Christ was going to do, the Bible says Abraham saw in past tense the day of Christ. Now what is the day of Christ? Things are it's a reference to his entire life. It's the Christ event in which he was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, was crucified and then buried and raised again on the third day. That is what Abram saw. So the question becomes how in the world did Abraham see this having lived nearly 2,000 years prior to the Christ event. Hence, I want to speak to you today on this subject. When faith becomes sight. And I'm not talking about in the sweet by and by, when we get over there to the other side. You know, that's normally when we talk about faith becoming sight. But I want to talk about faith becoming sight today, in the here and now. And you know, faith is intended to do that. It's intended to be tangible and visible and palpable. It's intended to be real by us. But to be honest with you, for too many of us, faith is just a set of stale, dusty doctrines that we know our grandfathers believed and we're supposed to believe them and we hold on to them in special occasions, but are they really ours? And have we really seen faith become visible and is it really tangible for us? Can we say like Jesus said of Abraham and we see his day or we saw his day and rejoice? So how does all that take place? When did all of that take place? Well, I think that took place for Abraham right here in Genesis chapter 22 on Mount Moriah. Because there's so much going on here that speaks to us of what Christ did on Calvary's cross and then three days later when He rose again victorious over death. So let's look at this, subject or this passage today under the subject of when faith becomes sight. How is it that my faith can be tangible? How is it that I can see the fruit of my faith and see... What faith points us to on a regular basis? Well, I think this scripture answers the questions. Here we go. Two major things I want to say about this text as it relates to faith becoming sight. Number one, faith becomes sight on the mount of surrendered worship. That's where faith becomes real. That's when faith becomes visible. That's when we see things that we've only up till now heard other people talk about. That's when it really becomes for us personal. Notice this text. It is really a text all about worship. As a matter of fact, we could say that this was God's personal invitation for Abraham to come and worship him. And do you know ultimately that's what God is looking for from you and from me? It's interesting that Jesus did not say that the Father is searching for people who will be missionaries. He didn't say that. He didn't say that the Father is searching for those who will be preachers or, or those who will, who will surrender their lives and, and do this, that, or the other thing. Here's what Jesus says the Father is searching for in John chapter 4. He's searching for worshipers. And I want to tell you, everything that we do, if it doesn't grow out of worship, then it's really for nothing. Can I say to you that preaching is valueless to me if it's not for me a personal act of worship? And whatever you do will be the same way. But when we get right down to the heart of it, do you know that worship at its heart is not singing praises, it's not praying prayers, it's not listening to preaching, But worship at its heart is complete surrender to God. That's what it is. It's complete surrender, even when it doesn't make sense. It's surrender to God. And notice, that's what Abram did in this passage. And we're going to look and see why it is that his faith became sight. Oh, and by the way, let me show you the connection in this text, can I? Between John chapter 8, verse number 56... Abram saw my day and he was glad. Look with me in verse number 14 of Genesis chapter 22. Here's my New American Standard. It says, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord, that is the covenant-keeping name for God, Yahweh will provide. And there was a proverb developed around this This became so popular. And here's the proverb. As it said to this day, in the mount of Yahweh it will be... Now stop right there. Does anybody have the King James Version? Jerry, what are you reading from? Uh, King James read read that verse in the New King James. It says, When Abram called the name of this, of this place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mouth of the Lord, it shall be provided. All right, who has the King James? Read it, Gina. It shall be what? It shall be seen. Now get this, that same word that is translated provided is also translated in other places as seen. It means to become visible. And you can see the connection in the translation. If God provides you something tangible, you understand it's visible. You can see it. So the King James picks up on that word play and they say, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So notice now what Abraham is seeing. He's seeing, as Christ said in John eight fifty six, His day. So when does faith become sight for us? I'm telling you, it becomes sight on the mount of total surrender, the mount of surrendered worship unto God. Now, how do you get there is the question. Because my question to you today is, are you on that mountain? Or do you know how to get to that mountain? Because there is no GPS fix for it. It's not a physical place. It's probably spiritual. So how do you get from where you are today to the mount of the Lord where faith becomes sight? Here we go. I think this text tells us to get there, God must occupy the highest place in our lives. He must occupy the highest place. Notice what it was that the text says that God asked Abram to do on the mount. And it says this over and over. Take your son, your only son. Do you see that that repetition throughout the text? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, and he underscores again, whom you love. So what's going on here? God is asking Abraham for first place in his life even above his son. And you know, this is really not a foreign concept. It comes to us in the New Testament. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me and does not love me more than mother, father, sons, daughters, brothers and sisters, guess what Jesus says, cannot be my disciple. If we are going to have faith that is visible and tangible, then ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We must give God first place in our life now hear me don't get caught up on this thing about God asking Abraham to offer his son okay in the process of progressive revelation Abraham didn't know what we know today okay so God challenges him and asks him basically for first place in his life but let me say this in the historical context of where Abraham was when Abraham was there Did you know child sacrifice was quite popular among the Canaanites and among the heathen? I mean, that's what they were doing. It was an abomination unto God. But that's what they were doing. So here's what God is saying to Abraham. Abraham, why should your devotion to me be any less than the devotion of those heathen to their false gods? And boy, that's where we live today. You see, what God is saying is this. If our faith is going to become sight, then we cannot be less devoted to our God than the pagans and heathens of our generation are to their God. Now you say, just how devoted are they? I'm so glad you asked that question. Can I get on a stomp for a minute? Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We would not have a Supreme Court justice nominated who says on the stand that she can't define a woman because she's not a biologist. Huh? Now you tell me why she says that? Let me tell you why. Because those liberals are more devoted to their cause than we are to ours. If we were devoted to God as the liberals are to their cause, she would never have even been nominated. Huh? Let me go a little bit farther, can I? The Disney Corporation would not remove ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls from the introduction in their place because they are devoted to their liberal agenda if believers were as devoted to our God as they are to theirs. Why in the world are we lagging so far behind? And let me tell you why we're losing the United States of America. Because we are less devoted to our God than they are to theirs. So, if we had rise up in unison, let me tell you what happened. Disney would stop posting record quarterly earnings that are breaking records. That's what they would do. Huh? I think we would get the attention of politicians and those types of things. But here's the bottom line we haven't given, given God top place in our life. Hence, our faith is not visible. Have you ever wondered, man, what's the purpose for all of this? We're losing the battle. Well, why do you think we're losing the battle? Maybe because they are more devoted to their cause than we are to ours. i got to run. Number next, (laughs) to get there, God must occupy the highest place in our lives. But number two, to get to this mount of surrendered worship where faith becomes sight, to get there requires intentional planning. Intentional planning. Look at verse number three. Notice how Abraham planned this. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place of which God told him. Do you know how it is you get to the mount of total surrender and worship? Listen, it requires planning. Do you know why you are here today? at the worship service of Grace Church on Easter Sunday you know why you're here I can tell you why because you plan to be here you plan to be here yesterday or Friday or Thursday or Wednesday here's what here's what most folk do as it relates to worship oh if, if nothing comes up I'll be there can I say to you that's never gonna get you to the Mount of total surrender that's not even gonna get you to the service of Grace Church because I promise you, if you live spiritually, haphazardly like that, you're never going to get anywhere. Hey, you, you are at church today because you planned to be here. And it's the same way with Abraham. He planned. Now look at the planning. What did Abraham do? Well, to get there requires intentional planning. You must be prepared to worship. Prepared. Now, now, now look at what Abraham did. It's amazing to me all these things he did in preparation for worship. And worship was still three days off. It was a three days journey from where he was to where he was going to get to the worship service. Do you see that in the text? But notice what he did to prepare. Three days in advance for this journey, notice what he did. The Bible says he did all of these things. And what gets me is he even split wood for the burnt offering and took it with him. Now you know what we would have said? This shows how Abraham was prepared. Abraham didn't leave anything to chance like we do. Here's what we would have said. We would have said, all right, let's go. Certainly there's wood there on that mountain. I'll just find some wood there. Now, he wasn't leaving it to chance, huh? He took his own wood with him. Now, let me ask you a question. What, what did you purposefully bring to church with you today to facilitate worship? Did you bring anything? Or just think that you can show up and worship's going to spontaneously happen if you're not prepared? You see, coming to church unprepared, coming to church without bringing anything to offer God, and I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about coming and offering God the sacrifice of praise. And God, I praise you for how I saw you work in my life this week. God, I offer for your good pleasure the conversation I had with this guy about Christ today at Waffle House. Bringing something to offer God. Coming to church with nothing to offer is like going hunting and leaving your shotgun. It really is. Or let me give a a, a feminine analogy. It's like going to the mall and forgetting your credit card. It does you no good to be there if you can't make a purchase. And you see, it really doesn't do you any good to come to church if you can't worship. So Abraham was prepared. Hey, here's another thing. You know why some of us can't worship when we come to church? Because we're not prepared personally. Some of us come to church and we're so tired from staying out to 3 o'clock on Saturday night till we sleep at church. That's not coming prepared. Faith never becomes sight if we live haphazardly that way. So check it out. Faith becomes sight on the mount of surrendered worship. To get there, God must occupy the highest place. To get there requires intentional planning. You must be prepared. And number next, you must prioritize worship. Hey, worship's got to be a priority. You know what? Those of y'all that know me, you know that I've got one weakness. And that weakness comes around every springtime like clockwork. It's turkey hunting. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the fact that God was a higher priority for me than gobblers... I'd be in the bushes this morning, you know what I mean? On the way to church this morning, we hadn't got too far down our driveway. And I told him, look out in that field. There was a the biggest old gobbler out there puffed up. I said, baby, what time is it? <laughs> how fast will this car drive? Give me 30 minutes with him. <laughs> no. Worship has got to be a priority. It's got to be prioritized. Now notice how Abram prioritizes this. When you prioritize it, you know what happens? then you worship to the exclusion of your feelings. Can you imagine? And it's amazing to me how stoically the text talks about this. God just asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, the one thing that he wanted all his life. God gave it to him. Now God seems to be asking the impossible for him to take him to a mountain and offer him as a burnt offering. And the text never mentions the emotions that must have ran through Abraham's heart and mind. Never. Talks about how he feels. Abraham just got up and he obeyed in complete obedience with incomplete information. God didn't tell him everything. So here he is with incomplete information and he's being completely obedient and he's not walking by feelings. Can I just say this? Can I? huh? ha? Uh-huh. I'm tired of hearing big, grown, macho men talk about how they feel. I really am. Come on. Are you a man or a mouse? Are you a sissy or what? Maybe I can't define what you are because I'm not a biologist, huh? <laughs> Watch me. And this goes for men and women. As long as you are living by your feelings, you will never be a stable human being. God never intended us to live by how we feel. And I heard this morning somebody say that they just don't feel like they ought to be at grace right now. Well, go ahead and live by your feelings, contrary to everything that God has said. And I can tell you where life's going to go. It's no surprise when it winds up in the toilet. Stop living by feelings. Now, look, I'm not saying that there's not feelings involved in our relationship to God. There is, but hear me. Feelings don't drive this train. They're not the engine. They're the caboose. Faith drives the train. The feelings will come. But when we turn that thing around, we're going the wrong way. So check it out. Abraham, no mention of feelings. So he, 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 he prioritized worship to the exclusion of feelings and he lived exclusively by faith. By faith. By faith. Now hear me, faith is not faith in faith. This is not the power of positive thinking. Faith always has an object. Did you know that? It does. And here's the object of faith. He lived exclusively by faith in what God said yesterday. In what God said yesterday to him. You can say it like this. He lived by faith in, in God's previously spoken word. You see, because God had spoken to Abraham prior to this, This isn't the first time he's heard from God. And check this out. Just flip back a couple of pages to Genesis chapter number 17. I want you to see what God said. Here's why Abraham could walk by faith. Look at verse number 19. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. so that's a strong word for Abraham today. This day in which he was tested. Check out verse number 21 of the same chapter. God speaking again. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. So what did Abraham have faith in? He had faith in what God had already said to him because God cannot lie. So here in this time when God's saying something that is seemingly confusing to him, rather than live in confusion and by the quagmire of feelings and emotions, he simply placed his faith in the plain teaching of God that said, I will establish my covenant with your son Isaac for an everlasting covenant. Hence, write this, write this reference down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 4 and 5. Here's what the writer of the Hebrews say, says. says that on this day, Abraham offered his son, believing that God was able to raise him from the dead. Son, that's faith in God's previously spoken word because Abraham knew that God said, I'm going to establish my covenant with him. So it seems a contradiction for me to kill him and end all of that. Hey, you can't stop what God has sovereignly decreed from all eternity. You can't stop it. And Abraham knew enough about God to know that, God, if you let this go through, you're going to demonstrate your power by raising this boy back to life. There's your resurrection message right there, Huh? So he had faith in what God said to him yesterday. Can I ask you a a real personal question? What's God said to you yesterday? Because that's going to come into play, if not today, tomorrow. Because God's words are not wasted. And here's really what life ought to be. Life ought to be a dialogue between you and God. When was the last time you heard from Him? When was the last time He gave you a word? Man, I know we don't hear from God earth-shattering every day, but I can tell you there have been times in my life when God has taken His Word and He said something to me specifically from His Word and that's ended up being a spiritual marker in my life that you can just take a stake and nail it down in the ground because, son, it's permanent. And it helps give direction to life. And that's what it did here for Abraham. It helped give him direction. What God said plainly yesterday helps give him clarity today when he's a little bit confused about what's going on. Number next, he walked by faith in what God said yesterday, but also in what God asked today. And what God asked of you today. Now, that is our present walk. See, what God said yesterday, that's His previously spoken word. But when we obey what He asked today, that's our present walk. It's obedience. Now, notice what it is. The text says this two times. You probably noticed my emphasis when I read it. Look in chapter number 22. Let me show you this. Notice Abraham's walk. It was unswerving. Verse number 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the knife and the fire. You know, they didn't have big lighters back then. They had to carry a little fire bucket with them everywhere they went. Lord, don't let my fire go out, huh? So he took the fire and the knife. And and then notice what the next phrase is. You may want to underline this. Here's what he said. I and the young lad will go over there. Here it is. Uh, No, no, no. I'm in verse 5. Come back with me to 6. He took in his hand the knife, the fire and the knife. Here it is. Why don't you underline So the two of them walked on together. You see that? Now fall down with me to verse number 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Here it is again, verbatim. So the two of them walked on together. Friend, listen. You'll never get to the mount of total surrender if you're walking alone. The text is very plain. They walked on together. That's obedience. That's his present walk. And can I say to you... Your faith is going to be worthless to you unless you're walking with somebody through life. God has not intended nor created you to be an island spiritually. One of the things that Grace is big on is community. It's about walking through life together. Man, what a great epitaph, huh? What a great epitaph for Grace Church. And they walked on together. How do you get through tough times Ron Monk when you walk on together how do you survive when life doesn't make sense I tell you when you know what God said yesterday when you trust him today and you walk on together and Abraham said son God will provide so we walk by faith in what God said yesterday that's his previously spoken word he He walked by faith in what God asked today. That was his faith response, our present walk. But he also had faith in what God will do tomorrow. In what God will do tomorrow. Now check this out. And here's a spiritual principle I want you to tuck away and take with you today. If you get nothing else today, get this. When His Word and our walk combine, it produces wisdom in our lives. Did you see that? It's no coincidence that the text points out that Abraham had faith in what God had previously said. That's his word. It's no text that what God said gave Abraham the faith to obey today. That was his walk. Now watch me. When his word and your walk come together, it produces wisdom in your life. You begin to see things that you've never seen before. But hear me if his word says you ought to be doing this and you're doing this you're not going to be wise at all you're not going to see anything here's what's got to take place our walk and his word have got to come like this and when that takes place it produces wisdom in your life and let me show you the wisdom that Abraham had none of us can predict tomorrow but I want to tell you something you can have a pretty good idea based on what God said yesterday And based on what I'm doing today, I can pretty much tell you what's going to come. Now notice what Abraham said. This is what he said. And here's the other important thing. Look at his faith. Tell me this didn't play out in his life. Verse number 5. Stay here and I and the lad will go over there and I will come back here after I've killed him on the mountain. What did he say? He said we. Who is we? I mean, the only way you can say we, unless you've got a frog in your pocket, is unless you're talking about whoever's with you. Huh? And who was the only one with him? It was Isaac. God told him to go offering. And Abraham knows that this is inconsistent, but I'm going to be obedient to what God says, knowing that when I get there, God's going to do something miraculously. Here's what he said. He said, Son, God will provide for himself. God will provide for himself. Do you know that everything God asks of you he doesn't ask you to pull it up out of your own resources and do it for him or give it to him everything that he asks of you he's already provided he's provided it because it's for him it's not for you he'll provide for himself and here he is Abraham because his walk is combining with God's Word and it produces wisdom in his life and now he has insight to know Whatever takes place here, God's going to provide. And boy, did God ever provide. Look what happened. Verse number 13. Abraham raised his eyes. Now, now look, they're looking for a lamb. They're looking for a lamb, remember. And notice what happens. Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram. A ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took him and offered him up a burnt offering in the place of his son. Son, does that sound eerily familiar? You know, it's amazing. You know, Heather and I spent seven or eight years living in Brazil working with the Quilombolas. They're non-literate people. They don't read so we can't go in there with a Bible. So we go in there and we tell Bible stories. We start Genesis chapter number one because you can't go and start in the gospel with people who have no background to it. They've never even seen a Bible, never even heard the name of Jesus. So we start in Genesis chapter one and we hit mountain peak text. This is one of the texts we tell the Bible story to to our Quilombolas. And it's amazing to me, in a Quilombo village, we'll tell this story. We move on through the New Testament. Then we get to the Gospels, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus. We get to the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. And you know what they do? Automatically, those Quilombolas make the connection. They say, wait a minute. This is exactly a picture of what God did with Abraham on Mount Moriah and Isaac. The only exception is God didn't spare His Son. He offered Him up for you and for me. By the way, the Lamb doesn't appear until about 2,000 years later after this text when John the Baptist is standing waist-deep in the Jordan River baptizing folk and he looks and sees his first cousin Jesus coming down the hill. And John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Check it out. Man, if faith is going to become sight, it requires that we get to the mount of surrendered worship. Here's the second thing, and I'm done. When faith does become sight, when faith does become str- sight, we are strong witnesses. Hey, you know what God will make out of your life when faith becomes sight? When you begin seeing God provide things, here's what you do. <laughs> You know when it doesn't make sense, when it looks like the path God has you on is leading you to a cliff and there's nothing there but a waterfall, you know what you do? You keep walking and before you get there, God will build a bridge. I can't tell you how many times it looked like in the course of ministry, being missionaries and being pastors, it looked like our walk for Heather and I was leading us to a dead end or to a cliff and we didn't know what else to do but just keep walking and we get there we find God's already built a bridge. And you know what that does? Son, when your faith becomes sight, when you see that God's serious about what He says, and He'll do what He says He'll do, Son, it makes you a strong witness. It makes you so much stronger. Uh, there's a friend of mine that says, a man who has an experience is never at the mercy of a man who has an argument. Folk can argue all they want to. But son, I've seen God come through too many times for you to tell me then it ain't real. Now watch. Watch how Abraham was a strong witness. Why was he a strong witness? Well because he saw God provide. God provided a ram. And can I say this to you? Here's why Abraham was a strong witness. Up until Genesis 22 in Abraham's life it's one episode after another. One debacle, one three ring circus after another. Do you remember? Oh, he goes down to Egypt. He tells the king that Sarah is his wife to save his own neck. He, he, uh, sis, excuse me, sister, thank you. Uh, thank you for keeping me straight. When I see confused looks on people's face, I know I just made a mistake. Thank you for telling me, sister. He, he gave his wife to the king saying it's my sister. He goes down to Egypt to escape a famine. He does all kind of stuff, but look at this. After this experience right here, there is no more foolishness in Abraham's life. When his faith became sight, when on the mount he saw it, he's transformed. He's a different man. There's no more craziness. There's no more foolishness. There's no more acting like an idiot. He has been transformed and he's a different man. Why? Because his faith became sight on that mountain. Number next... Why are you a strong witness? Because you've seen God provide. Number two, because His promises become personal. Notice what God did after Abraham did this. Look what He did in verse 17 and 18. He specifically spoke to Abraham and gave him this promise. And I want to tell you, God's word became personal for Abraham that day. He didn't worry anymore about Isaac. Didn't worry anymore. I mean, can you imagine how Abraham must have been a worrywart? I mean, I, I had a grandma, and she was just, bless her heart, she was ate up with worry. And when Heather and I had our first son about 180 years ago, <laughs> and I'd take him because that was before God called me to preach, and I'd go get him on a bulldozer or something, my 75-year-old grandma would be running beside that bulldozer telling me everything that could happen to that kid while he was on that bulldozer. <laughs> I bet that's kind of the way Abraham and Sarah was with Isaac. He was their prized child. Abraham, don't let that young'un run through that herd of camels. They'll kick his brains out. I mean, just worried about every little thing he did. But son, after this, after God gave him a personal word, no, again, it's in Isaac whom I'm going to establish this everlasting covenant. Isaac was never more Abraham's than after God gave him back to him. Isn't that cool? Now he knows, and there's no more worrying. Number next, and I'm done. Son, you want to be a transformed, strong witness? Well, you'll do that when you've seen God provide. When your word, when his word and your walk combine to produce wisdom, you'll see God provide, his promises become personal, and Abram's heart was purified. You can say it because our heart is purified. You know where your heart's purified? On the mount of surrendered worship. Because here's what God asked God asked Abraham to give him that thing that had become an idol in his own life Isaac. I want you to give him to me. I'm going to occupy top place. And when Abraham did that, you know what? God stopped him. Because here's the principle Write this down. God is not so much interested in the object that is offered as He is in the heart of the one who is offering it. Let me say it again. God is not as interested in the object that is offered as He is in the heart of the offerer. You see, it was all about Abram's heart, it wasn't about killing Isaac. It was about Abram's heart. And Abram just put an idol of his. Isaac had probably eased God out of the top spot in Abram's life and that happens today with so many parents. They pray for kids and pray for kids and when God gives them kids, the kids are the very thing that keep them away from God. It's amazing how kids can become an idol in our life. And when Abraham's heart was purified, look what God did. He gave him Isaac back. God is not as much interested in the object that is offered as He is in the heart of the offerer. That means you can bring and put a check in the offering plate for one million dollars today, and if your heart's not right with God, it didn't mean a thing spiritually. Didn't mean a thing. But get this. You can walk up here today and give your last widow's might. The only thing you have to eat on this week, you can put two pennies in this offering plate And if your heart's right, all heaven stops. As the sweet smell of the aroma of your worship ascends before the throne of Almighty God for His good pleasure. Because your heart is right with God. You see, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 8. He said, Blessed are you. Are the pure in heart for they shall they shall hear about old musty stale doctrines that come from a book that people used to read years ago now blessed are the pure in heart for they shall what they shall see God so on this Easter Sunday what's the condition of your heart man if it's not pure there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins And sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stain. God can wash you clean today. God can purify your heart. God can get you to the mount of surrendered worship where your faith becomes sight. Stand with me please. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, my prayer for Grace Church this day is that our walk will become parallel with your word so God that you can produce wisdom in us and so that our faith becomes sight I pray today that you allow somebody to see it allow that person who said for the past six months I just don't see the reason in doing all of this God today could you make it visible to them through the purification of their heart May their faith become sight. Transform them as you did Abraham so there's no more foolishness. Only straight talking and straight walking. So I pray for those who are here today that need to have the blood of Christ applied to their heart. God, today would you give them the faith to understand that what Christ did on Calvary's cross is all it takes. And I pray God with simple faith that you'll do a work in their heart that makes faith become visible. So I pray for those, Lord, that need to respond to you today in this closing moment of worship. God, give the faith for your honor and glory, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Dr. John Wilson standing up here on one side, Colin dollars on the other. If God said something to you today, if he spoken a word and you need to walk in obedience to that word, come find one of these men and let them pray with you. Whatever God said today in Jesus' name, when your walk combines with His Word, it'll make you wise. It calls your faith to become sight.